Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now and turn our hearts toward your word and not towards selfish gain. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we begin to continue our series on the book of 1 Samuel. We've taken a break for some time. Uh, We've been in the New Testament, we've been a bit in the Old Testament, and now we pick up again where we left off in 1 Samuel. I thought it might be helpful, though, to give you a bit of a background uh, for those who may not have even been with us last time we were studying the book of 1 Samuel together, and you may not quite understand where this fits into the history of Israel. Uh, If you go right back to the beginning... uh, The beginning is with God creating the heavens and the earth in Genesis. He has Adam and Eve as the first parents. And then from them, you eventually get Abraham. Abraham has a grandson called Israel, or Jacob. And from Israel, you then get the 12 sons of Israel, uh, who become the 12 tribes of Israel. They end up living in Egypt. They are enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt. And then they are brought out by Moses, God's prophet, uh, through the wanderings in the wilderness to the edge of the promised land and then God's servant Joshua takes them into the promised land. They're able to conquer the Canaanites living in the land and then you have a series of judges. Uh, That's the book of Judges which is uh, before uh, 1 Samuel. A series of judges who look after the Israelites and uh, give them some sort of leadership Uh, and then the last of the judges is Samuel, the prophet Samuel and from the prophet Samuel he then anoints a king, the first king of Israel called Saul. Saul turns out to be a bit of a bad egg, so to speak, Um, and so the Lord then anoints, uh, through Samuel, uh, a new king who is David, and Saul is conscious of David's ascent to his throne, and so he has started to try and assassinate David. And so David has had to flee uh, from Saul's presence, and that is where we're picking up the story today, is he's fled so quickly uh, from uh, Saul's presence uh, that he doesn't even have food with him. He arrives hungry at the priestly town of Nob and asks the priest there for food, and that's what we see in verse 3. David answered, Ahimelech the priest, the king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place and now then what do you have on hand give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find the only problem is that there is no bread available ordinary bread instead there's only the consecrated bread in this priestly town and we see that in verse 4 verse 4 of 1 Samuel chapter 21 but the priest answered David I don't have any ordinary bread on hand however there is some consecrated bread here provided the men have kept themselves from women what is this consecrated bread Well, in the law, in the Levitical laws, uh, given in Leviticus chapter 24, there was bread that was to be baked and put in the tabernacle of the Lord. The tabernacle is this tent of meeting by which uh, God's priests would go in and meet with the Lord and the Ark of the Covenant was there and there were different arrangements made and different pieces of furniture that all were symbolic of different things to know about our God and one of them was that they would have this bread of the presence that was there. Leviticus chapter 24 verse 5 speaks of this. It says, take fine flour and bake 12 loaves of bread using two tenths of an ephah for each loaf. Set them in two rows, six in each row, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. Along each row, put some pure incense as a memorial portion to represent the bread and to be an offering made to the Lord by fire. This bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. 
It belongs to Aaron and his sons. Aaron is the first priest that is uh, appointed by God. Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in a holy place because it is a most holy part of their regular share of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. So this bread was appointed by God to be baked every week and replaced every week by uh, the new bread that would be coming in on the Sabbath day. What is the point of this bread? Well, as I said, much of the furniture, all the arrangements of the tabernacle, it's all symbolic to point us to something about God and particularly God's provision. God's provision, of course, with the sacrificial system, uh, spiritual provision, but also physical provision. Uh, that The Lord provides physically for his people. Did the Lord provide bread for his people? Of course he did. Uh, even when the Israelites were in Egypt. Why were they in Egypt in the first place? Because God had provided grain for his people in Egypt. There was a severe famine happening in the whole world and God made sure that Joseph was there and he would open the land to the Israelites so that they would have grain while they were starving. And of course, while the Israelites were wandering around in the desert, did God provide for them physically? Did he provide them with bread? Yes, he gave them bread from heaven. He gave them manna. And so he is one who's always provided for his people. And so this bread of the presence, one of the aspects of it is to show that he would provide physically for his people. All 12 tribes, 12 loaves, 12 tribes. He is the God who provides. But why is David, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, permitted to then eat something that was only for priests to eat? We see that in the instructions, the law given in Leviticus chapter 24, it is for the priests to eat. And David is not a priest. He's not from the tribe of Levi. He's not a descendant of Aaron. He is a descendant of Judah, one of Israel's other sons. So why was David allowed to eat this bread that is spoken of in 1 Samuel 21? Well, the best answer to this question would be to look at the words of the Lord Jesus in relation to this matter, which we thankfully have in Mark chapter 2, that passage that we read before. In Mark chapter 2, we see that Jesus doesn't condemn David. Instead, he demonstrates that David's eating of the bread was permissible. Look with me at Mark chapter, 20, uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 25 where it says, The Lord Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. The Lord Jesus says that it is permissible for David to eat this. Now, why would he say that? Why? Well, because God's laws are for the good of mankind. God's laws are for the good of mankind. And he says this in verse 27 and following. He says, Then he said to them, that's Jesus said to the Pharisees, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath laws, the Lord Jesus says, they're made for the benefit of man, not, for the benefit of the, not that the man is made for the benefit of the Sabbath. No, the Sabbath is given for the good of man. How so? Well, it's meant to be a day of rest, a day of spiritual and physical refreshment. So in the context of what's going on in Mark chapter 2, where Jesus' disciples are breaking down some grain and eating it with their hands on the Sabbath day, the Lord Jesus says it's a day for physical refreshment as well as spiritual refreshment. So, of course, eating on the Sabbath, preparing some food on the Sabbath, has to be permitted because that is what the law is for. It's for the refreshment of God's people. And so it's ludicrous for the Pharisees to have a problem with the, the disciples 
for preparing some food to eat on a Sabbath day, which is for the good of man. And so therefore, if we go back to this matter with David, if the bread of the presence showed that God loves his people and cares for his people, then what would the spirit of the law be? What would the spirit of the law be? Surely that a starving man, a man who is hungry, could eat of this bread of the presence, especially if the man is the Lord's anointed. He's been anointed as king over Israel. And he is ceremonially clean. But how could Ahimelech give it in keeping of the fulfillment of the law? How could he fulfill the spirit of the law and give it to David? Well, what is the summation of the law? All the laws of God. What is the summation of them? How are they summarized? Well, love God and love your neighbor. What is Ahimelech doing when he's giving this bread to David? Does he show a love for God? Yes. He makes sure that David is ceremonially clean. He's anxious to make sure that there's a respect for this bread from the person who is eating it. But he also is loving his neighbor. He's giving to this man who is hungry bread that is available to him. And so we can see that he is keeping the spirit of the law. He is keeping this love for God and this love for neighbor there as he gives this bread to David. Now, what can we learn from this, this incident in 1 Samuel chapter 21? Well, there's a number of lessons that we could learn, but I think one of the most important ones is to point out the danger of legalism. The danger of legalism is possibly the best lesson that we could take away from this. Now, what is legalism? Well, it's where you're keeping the letter of the law, you're looking at one of God's laws and you're keeping it, but you've still got the inward corruption within. You're not truly loving God and you're not truly loving your neighbour as yourself. You're loving the law for the law's sake rather than loving the law because it helps you to love God and love your neighbour. Now, how does legalism manifest itself? Well, in many, many different ways. But what would be one way that we could focus on today that would particularly spring from this passage? Well, I think one that we could take as a, a good lesson from this would be the, the way that spiritual bread can be withheld from the hungry. The way that spiritual bread can be withheld from the hungry. What am I talking about? What is the spiritual bread that God has given us? What is the spiritual bread? Well, Jesus Christ himself says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says that he is spiritual bread for the hungry. But who are these hungry that he speaks of in John chapter 6? Well, of course, it's dying sinners. It's people who are hungry and thirsting for righteousness so that they can have eternal life. These are the hungry people who are desiring to eat of spiritual bread so that they can live for eternity, so that their sins can be forgiven, so they can have a righteousness before God, they can be justified before God and know, therefore, that they have eternal life. Now, who has such spiritual bread? Who has the good news about Jesus Christ? Who is appointed in this world to administer the gospel about Jesus Christ? Well, of course, it's the church. The church is called God's holy priesthood. We are God's priests. And we have been entrusted with the good news about Jesus Christ. But would anyone withhold Jesus, the spiritual bread, from people who are starving? Yes. 
Legalists would. Where in church history do we see a good example of such legalists? Who are the classic legalists in church history? Well, of course, it's the Pharisees. How are the Pharisees classic legalists? Well, we see them there in Mark chapter 2, wanting to withhold physical bread from starving men, from Jesus' disciples. They're saying they cannot eat this bread because of the Sabbath law. And we do see them in the New Testament also wanting to withhold spiritual bread, the Lord Jesus Christ, from starving men as well. Where do we see that? Well, there are many examples we could turn to in the New Testament, but I want us to turn this morning to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 may be found on page 1035, page 1035. Luke chapter 15, and we'll actually be reading the whole of the chapter because it deals so well with this this concept of withholding spiritual bread, the Lord Jesus Christ, from those who are starving. Chapter 15, verse 1, page 1035. Chapter 15 of Luke's Gospel, verse 1, we read, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. See these Pharisees, these classic legalists. What's their problem now? Their problem is that sinners, tax collectors, notorious sinners, are wanting to eat of Jesus. They're wanting to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. They're wanting to hear his teachings about himself. And so what is Jesus' response to these legalists? We read in verse 3, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent." Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What is Jesus teaching here? That God welcomes sinners, notorious sinners. He welcomes them, he searches them out, and he rejoices when they repent, and he expects the friends of himself to repent, uh, to rejoice as well at the repentance of a sinner. But he continues, third parable, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. It sounds like this is the end that should come of this parable. Uh, It's like the searching for the lost coin. It's like searching for the lost sheep. But Jesus is wanting to make a point here to those who provided the context for him to speak these parables. What does he say in verse 25? Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. It was lost and is found. What is Jesus doing with these parables? Well, he's emphasising to the sinners, the tax collectors who would be listening to him while he's there, that God welcomes them, that God welcomes them and that they can feed on the bread of life. As hungry people coming to the bread of life himself, they are welcome to feed upon him by faith and have eternal life through trusting in him. But Jesus is also issuing a strong rebuke to the Pharisees, those classic legalists, as the elder brother. For not rejoicing like the angels do in heaven when someone repents, but instead for wanting to deny the bread of life to those who are starving. Now what do you say in response to this? Well, you might say, oh, I would never do that as one of Christ's disciples. I mean, of course, it's the Pharisees who do this. These are the the enemies in the New Testament. But what do we see the disciples doing a few pages over in Luke's Gospel? Luke chapter 18. Turn with me a few pages over, verse 15. Luke chapter 18, verse 15. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. We must guard our hearts against this attitude of hindering people from eating the bread of the presence, which is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, that spiritual bread that gives eternal life. Now, of course, we want to be careful. We want to be careful not to give pearls to swine and what is sacred to pigs. And you see Ahimelech there in 1 Samuel, he is careful not to just go throwing this bread around to anybody who wants it. He is careful to say, are these men ceremonially clean? Are you ceremonially clean? 
David. We want to be careful. But if someone wants to know the Lord Jesus Christ, if they want to know how they can be saved, if they want to have eternal life, if they want to be justified before God, they should be welcome. Warts and all, no matter who they are, they should be welcome. It doesn't matter what nationality they may be, what status they have in society, what clothing they wear, what level of health they have, what disabilities they may have, doesn't matter how they speak, what accent they may have, doesn't matter what age they are, whether they're very young or they're very old. And of course, it doesn't matter ultimately what sins they have committed in their life. Even if they're the worst of sinners, most notorious of people, have committed sins that even the rest of society frowns upon and generally would condemn. If they found them in prison, they would beat them up. The fellow prisoners would attack them because their sins are so notorious. They have to be kept in isolation. If someone like that wants to feed on the bread of the presence, if they want to feed on Jesus Christ, they are welcome to do so as a starving man desiring to have eternal life. And so I think this is a good application As we come to 1 Samuel chapter 21, preaching on the Old Testament is always difficult, trying to work out the good application for us today when we're so many years ago, thousands of years removed from this situation. I think it's a good application. Why? Because it fits the context. Physical bread, this whole experience of physical bread, the physical bread that you eat each day, it's not really meant to be the focus of our attention. All physical bread is meant to point us to the true bread of heaven, which is Christ. The physical is always meant to point us to the spiritual. What we see is meant to point us to what is unseen, which is Christ in this case. And so this incident with bread in the Old Testament, it's meant to lead us to Christ in some way. And so I think it fits the context. Also, I think it's a very good application for us because withholding Jesus as the bread of life is the most dangerous form of legalism that we can engage in, isn't it? Withholding the bread of life from people, it's a very dangerous form of legalism. Why? Well, if we withhold physical bread from someone, and I could preach a whole sermon about making sure that we give bread to the homeless, physical bread, If we don't give to those who are starving around us physical bread, yes, it is murderous. If we make someone starve before us when we've got physical bread that we could give them, yes, that's murderous. But if we've got spiritual bread that gives eternal life and we withhold it from the starving person, that is eternally murderous. It murders someone for eternity. It's a terrible form of legalism to say to someone or to think about someone, you're not welcome amongst us because we are holy people and you are unholy and so you're not welcome to eat with us as we feed upon the bread of life which is Christ Jesus and that is an important point to remember that we too have been like David I think this is a good application as we look at the legalism here because we are like David we forget that we are like David Why? Because at one point we've all been on the run from the king. Who's the king? God himself. We've all been running from him. Why? Because he is seeking to take our life. Because we've rebelled against him. It's 
not entirely the same because, of course, Saul, of course, Saul was a wicked king and David was serving him as faithfully as he could. But we have all been on the run and therefore we have been caught in a situation where we are starving and we need help. And none of us deserve to eat of the bread of life. Why? Because we were all born unholy. We're all ceremonially unclean because of our sin and because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And so what has happened? How have we eaten and had eternal life? Well, an Ahimelech, a priest of God, kindly shared the gospel with us and said, come and eat of the bread of life. Come and eat of Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit's power... We have, by faith, fed on Christ. In repentance and faith, we have fed on Christ Jesus and have faith in his death and so have eternal life in his name. And what are we now? Well, we're God's priests. We're God's priests under Christ, the high priest, offering his bread due to his grace. And so what must we remember? Well, we don't offer our own bread to those who are starving. We offer Christ's bread. And that, therefore, we need to offer it on his terms. And what are his terms? Well, his terms are that all those who are starving and want to hear of the bread of life, those who want eternal life, they are welcome to eat. We are nothing. Christ is everything. And so we offer his bread on his terms. And if we engage in such legalism like the Pharisees were with the notorious sinners so long ago, if we are like the elder brother and we're saying we cannot rejoice about these people coming to the Father in heaven, what does that show? It shows that we've never eaten the bread ourselves. It shows we've never eaten the bread ourselves and are still starving. We should be rejoicing with the angels over one sinner who repents. If we are not rejoicing when someone repents, regardless of their background, then we're like that elder brother and a question mark is put above our head as to whether we're really part of the family at all. Because none of us have stayed faithful. We all need to eat ourselves. And if there is any possibility that that is you, if you have any problems with anybody becoming a Christian, then you need to evaluate where your own heart is before the Lord. And you need to repent of your sin and you need to trust in Christ so that you too eat of the bread of life and live eternally. And then come and join with God's priests. Come and join with God's family as we rejoice that we're permitted to eat of the bread of the presence like David was so many years ago. We are permitted to do so. We ate by faith in the Spirit and we continue to eat of Christ. Every day that we sin, we feed on Christ, bread that is holy, that we're not supposed to eat. But he welcomes us and says, eat, starving child, and have your sins forgiven. And then let us, as we rejoice, never, never, never withhold Jesus from those who are seeking the spiritual bread that gives eternal life. And if you're here this morning and you feel unwelcome, don't. If you're starving, if you want to know how to have eternal life, if you want to know how to have your sins forgiven, if you want to know how to have the guilt, the burden that you feel for your sins, 
lifted from your shoulders and to know that you have eternal life, then come and feed here. Come and feed here. Don't feel that somehow you're unwelcome because of who you are. The sins that you have committed, your status in society, your age, your inability to articulate yourself in some way, your awkwardness. We're all awkward. We're all eccentric. We're all a bit odd in our own special way. You're welcome here to come and feed on Christ. Don't worry about your past sins. Come and feed on Christ. And don't be so foolish as to starve eternally, sitting here while the bread of the presence is offered to you now. You don't deserve to have it, yes, but it is offered to you nonetheless. Don't sit here and starve by not repenting of your sins and not trusting in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Be holy in Christ. Trust in him now and then rejoice in the bread of heaven. And then start to offer that bread to others as you know the joy of being a starving person and then having that hungry stomach filled with Christ Jesus. Let's come to God now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the God who provides. And we thank you for letting us eat the bread of your presence, though we do not deserve to. Thank you for letting us eat of that bread by our faith in Christ Jesus so that we're no longer hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but we are justified. We are holy before you. We are now your priests. Oh Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for the times that we have withheld Christ from the starving, that we have judged our fellow man when we have no place to do so. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to welcome all those who want to eat of Christ and to have eternal life in his name. And we pray that as we offer the bread of presence to people, they would not sit there and starve while bread is offered to them, but they would turn by the power of your spirit from their sins and trust in Christ Jesus and have eternal life. And then we would rejoice with the angels in heaven that one more sinner has repented and knows the eternal life that you give. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.